Uh, we're in a new series. It's called I Don't Know Where to Start, Learning to Share Our Faith with Others. How many of you were not here last week? Raise your hand if you were not here last week. You missed part one of this sermon, all right? So you got to go online and listen to part one because we're picking it up. In fact, if you look at your bulletins, the first thing you see is point three. It's because one and two came last week, and I'm not going to tell you what they were. All right, I will. We listed them in your bulletin, but we're, uh, we're going through our view of origin. What do we believe about the beginning, and how do I talk to people about the beginning? When it comes up, when somebody starts talking about the beginning or origin or, you know, how do I talk to other people about my beliefs? The truth is that the prevailing view in schools today is that the universe is 13.5 billion years old, the earth is 4.5 billion years old, and based on what we see, the fossils show the remains of simple life forms and extinct animals, and, and so we are told that we see an evolving world, an old world, and Christians are being pressured to come to terms with the science. We're being treated like people who have blind faith in something that is no longer backed up by observation. And if we refuse to come to terms with the science, it's it's as if we are those who deny that the Holocaust ever happened. Everyone knows these things are true. Why don't you Christians get with the program? Our students who go off to college will feel tremendous pressure to just buy what the science is telling them. The question we're asking ourselves is this, is this really, is the naturalistic story that everything came from nothing, is that really what the scientific data shows? And how can I be a Christian who has faith in what God's word tells me and reconcile that with what I see in the world around me? What we're seeing already is that we can be uh, in our right mind, we can be honest about the science, and we can have faith in God. But how do those two things go together? Are you ready for that question? Are you ready for someone to say, how can you still believe that God made everything when science has clearly shown that not to be true? Well, I hope to get you ready for that conversation a little bit today. First, let's pray and then we'll get into God's word together. Father in heaven, we are so humble as we come into your presence. As we think back to the mysteries of the origin of the universe, it is truly overwhelming. It's beyond any of us to understand completely. So we ask that through your word, you will help us to know what we should believe, and more so, know how we can talk to other people about that. Even grace my conversation this morning, Father, and I pray that you would help me to achieve clarity and uh, to assist other people in having these spiritual conversations. We do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, there are several Bible verses that we are going to go to today, but they're going to be projected on the screen. And because we're all over the place, you don't really necessarily have to try and keep up. Last week, I shared with you a strategy for talking to others about your faith. The strategy is when a topic comes up, don't immediately fire off everything you know about something, right? Um, Ask questions. It shows courtesy. It shows humility. And last week, there were a few questions that I said you can ask, and those are already listed in your bulletin. You can ask the other person, hey, do do you really believe everything came from nothing? And um, then the second question is, do you really think chaos ordered everything? Um, Those two questions can help the other person to really unpack what they think about the beginning of life. And I I came up with this pretend scenario just to help us process this. Uh, What I did last week was I had 
I said, I, I'm a Lego fan and my family is full of Lego fans. And then I said, imagine if I went to Amazon.com and uh, I ordered uh, the biggest Lego project of all time. I wanted to put together a Lego universe. And you thought it was pretty impressive when the guy put together a Lego Death Star? I'm going to put together a Lego universe. And imagine my shock if I were to open the box from Amazon.com and find nothing in it. And then if I contacted the seller and said, hey, dude, want my money back. And he's like, well, our universe came from nothing, so good luck with your Lego universe. Ah, do you really think, you can ask another person this, do you really think that our whole universe came out of an empty box? I find that hard to believe, and I find that not to line up with what I know about the origin of our universe. I think nothing comes from nothing, and I think something had to come from something, something that existed before the Big Bang. Then I said, okay, I shook the box long enough and something came out. Enough pieces to form my whole Lego universe and I was so happy. So then I reached for the instructions. How am I going to put it together? This is how to assemble a Lego universe. And then I turned to page one and much to my dismay, there was nothing on it. Naturalists who are atheists believe that nothing put this universe together. Chaos produced order, that there is no blueprint. And I concluded last week by saying, I just have a hard time saying thank you to an empty box for a whole universe, and I have a hard time saying thank you to a blank blueprint for everything that I see assembled in our universe today. Listen to that sermon online. We're not going to cover all that again. Today, we start with another question. You can jot this down. Number three, do you believe everything was accidentally assembled? Do you believe everything was accidentally assembled? What do I mean by that? I mean... Time plus matter plus chance is what we're told, you know, in school. Time plus matter plus chance is all you need to assemble our entire universe. Now, just ask yourself that. Do you think unguided, unintelligent, accidental interactions between matter can actually assemble everything that you see now in our whole universe? The rules are this. I now have my pieces of Legos, and I really want to assemble my universe, but I'm not allowed to use my hands because that would be intelligent. I'm not allowed to systematically put anything together. All I can do is create accidental interactions between the many different particles randomly, randomly, not systematically, unintelligently, uh, and maybe I can apply some pressure and some force, and maybe I can provide some heat maybe to change the... But this is all I got. All I have is random, random chaos, and then, and then I expect that in enough time to produce something that's ordered. You know, like a little police car. If I shake it long enough, I can even get something, you know, as cool as a double-decker couch. Anybody see a Lego movie? You're leaving me up here. This is a double-decker couch from the Lego movie. Now just ask yourself this. Do you really think everything in our universe that you can see was assembled by accidental, incidental, unguided, unintelligent interactions among the pieces? Or do you think an intelligent hand had to go to work? I find it hard to believe that unintelligent randomness can produce all the complexity that we see uh, around us. So you can jot this down. What do we believe? We believe the universe was made mature. We believe the universe was made mature. That there was an intelligent guiding hand that put everything together we think that lines up better with what we see around us. We don't think we're turning away from the science to get that. We think that we are seeing the science to get that. We don't think that everything could be accidentally assembled. Proverbs 8, 23 to 31, we'll put it up on the screen. This is a fascinating passage 
because uh, this is a kind of a, a poetic book in some, certain places. So it's as if um, wisdom became a woman who was able to speak, and she decided to teach us about the underlying intelligence that God used to create the universe. She's preaching. Here's what she says. Ages ago, I was set up. At the first, get this, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. What does this mean? This means clearly the Bible teaches that God decided the universe would be intelligent, orderly, and rational. God decided the universe would be intelligent, orderly, and rational, and he decided that before he made it. Wisdom here is speaking, and she's saying that God wisely ordered all, and therefore if we align our lives with his wisdom, then we are fulfilling something that is actually foundational to our whole universe. We see that in the science. We see that there is wisdom and intelligence built in to it all. Now, if you were to talk to someone and say, well, I don't think the universe was accidentally assembled. I think the universe was made mature. They might say, why? Why do you believe that? You can give them a few reasons. Jot this down. You can say, well, because the universe is fine-tuned. If there's a designer, I would expect to see not a randomly tuned universe, but a fine-tuned universe. There are many dials in the universe forces and constants that could have been set differently. And when you add up all these different calibrations, the conditions of the universe, it allows for life. And if they were turned in different directions, then the universe wouldn't allow for life. Uh, These constants are predictable. I said last week that an, an intelligent being at the Big Bang set off a smart bomb. It wasn't a dumb bomb. It was a smart bomb governed by forces and constants that were beyond its natural ability. And the bang itself couldn't calibrate or activate the order that was present from the beginning. There are four, if you take physics, there are four major forces at work in our universe. These forces are predictable, not random. They're laid out brilliantly, not left to chaos. They testify to an architect, not an accident. What are they? Well, you can take the big one, gravity. Uh, gravity right now is holding you down to your seat. You're grateful for gravity. We take it for granted that there is some force right now that acts upon, doesn't matter what you wear, it acts upon you and it holds you to your seat. You can't escape it, you can't turn it off, and it doesn't change. We take that for granted, even though if you were to ask an expert on gravity, what is gravity, he would say this. They still don't know. They're looking for gravitrons, but they don't know what this force is that can act universally upon any matter Any matter, a feather or a lead weighter, it doesn't matter what it's made of, gravity's got it. And it's an immense force so that the gravity of the earth can stretch out and touch the moon and the gravity of the sun can stretch out and grab the earth and the gravity of the center of the Milky Way can stretch all the way out and grab our planet. It's an immense force. It's a 
It's a force that applies universally to all matter, and it's a constant force, which means if you know the mass of the two objects and the distance, you can always figure it out because it's constant. It doesn't change. Who set gravity to be the strength it is? Nothing in nature. There's no biological, no natural reason why gravity is this strong and it's not stronger. We're really thankful that it is constant. Am I right? Imagine if Tomorrow morning, you woke up and you hopped on the scale and you weighed 100 pounds more. Ah, gravity. It's a bad gravity day. What did you put in that meatloaf? I weigh 100 pounds more today. Did you put lead in that meatloaf? We take it for granted that gravity doesn't change. You don't turn on the, you know, the news and you're like, okay, I need to get the weather and I need to get, need to get the gravity forecast for today. Do I grab my lead shoes or, I mean, am I going to be bouncing around like on the moon? It's a silly thought to think of a world where gravity fluctuates. But how did a natural, random, accidental process create something so constant? Uniformly around the universe. The phrase accidentally constant doesn't make sense. The phrase randomly predictable doesn't make sense. And it's not like, well, we had billions of years for gravity to figure this out. Nope, it came on from the first fraction of a second. How? Not randomly. We would say that the better explanation is there was a mind that decided it would be a certain strength. It's important to understand that gravity could have been stronger or weaker. We know this because there are other forces in the universe and they have different strengths. Uh, So, for example, there's a force called the the strong force. Um, uh, In the nucleus of some of your atoms, there are protons that really don't like each other. In fact, there's an electromagnetic force that wants them to, bam, separate from each other right now and turn you to dust. Right now, there is a force trying to turn you to dust, but there's a stronger force called the strong force, and it's keeping those protons together. Two forces, just like gravity, at work in your atoms, and I'm very thankful that the strong force is stronger than the electromagnetic force but it didn't have to be. Somehow, randomly, by chance, the force that keeps us together in one piece just so happens to be stronger than the one that's trying to tear us apart. These forces have to go together. They have to behave. They have to collaborate. And I'm very thankful that, you know, the strong force is about like 10 to the 39th power stronger than gravity. I'm thankful that it can only grab things this far away from it. Like it, it imposes on a very short distance. Who decided that? Accidents? I just don't buy it. The universe is fine-tuned. People know this. In the 1950s, Sir Fred Hoyle said, someone has been monkeying with the physics. Someone fine-tuned this universe so that it behaves together and they had this much time to make sure that the universe was calibrated correctly. As you talk to others, say, hey, how do you accidentally account for such constant, predictable forces in this universe. Naturally, how did that just get so normal? And they don't have a good answer. They can't account for it. Your answer is better than theirs. I believe the universe was made mature. Why? Well, it's fine-tuned. That points to an architect, not an accident. Next, jot this down. You can say, I believe the universe was made mature because our world, our earth, is precisely fashioned. Not just our universe, but our earth is truly special. Our earth was made to be one of a kind. 
When you look at how our earth was put together, you don't see accident, you don't see random. It's more likely an architect who designed it. Uh, Job 38, verses 4 to 11, we'll put that up on the screen. But God, uh, all Job wanted was a hearing with the Lord, and he got that. God appeared and reminded him that God was the creator of everything. It says in uh, Job 38, verse 4, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Who stretched the line upon it? What were its bases sunk? Who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. God is personally taking credit for making beaches, for saying the water won't go past here. God takes credit for the atmosphere. God takes credit for the height of the mountains and the depths of the seas. He said, I did it. He doesn't say I allowed accidental forces to do it. We believe that God supernaturally put the universe together. He did it in a way that's in keeping with the ability of matter, but he did it supernaturally. God imposed his will on energy and matter and time and space. He didn't sit around and wait for energy and matter and time and space to impose its will on God. The universe was not put together accidentally. Our earth testifies to that. Why? Because our earth was not randomly assembled. It was precisely assembled. Our planet is just the right size. Its core is just the right material. Its orbit is nearly circular around the sun. It's not random. It's not accidental. It displays a maturity and order and an assembly made by intelligence. Take, for example, our sun. Here's a picture of our sun and our earth. Our sun is massive. Do you know that if our sun got hungry and it wanted to snack on a bag of earths, it could eat a million of them? Just let that soak in. One million earths can fit inside the sun. It's It's a Goliath, a flaming, huge, massive furnace. It's terrifying. Someone once said, you live in a freezer near an open oven. That's what earth is. It's a frozen rock, but we're near an oven. Thankfully, we are placed at a safe distance from this sun. We're 93 million miles away. If gravity was different... It was stronger, in we'd go. <laughs> if gravity were weaker, oh, be a great short life. If our earth was smaller, then we would be closer. If our earth was bigger, then we would be farther away, and it would make life to be less likely. Um, the sun is set to a, uh, a sizzling 27 million degrees at the core. You live by a 27 million degree inferno. And this thing called gravity, which you haven't figured out yet, is keeping you at the same distance. Is that accidental? Are we accidentally perfectly placed at the safe distance from the sun? I just find that hard to believe. What about our moon? Our moon goes around the earth, of course, and it stays with us. It's very loyal. Earth's best friend. Um, our moon does things. It stabilizes the earth's tilt, it contributes to the tides and the flow of heat and life throughout the ocean. That's important. Heat has to move around the earth, so does life. 
and the uh, moon helps that to happen. The moon is just the right size to stick with us, and it's just a coincidence that the moon is in proportion to the sun uh, to such a degree of exactness that you can have an eclipse. When you see an eclipse, it's a thing of beauty. And you just have to wonder, wow, is that just coincidental? Or was that planned? Because it doesn't look like eclipse. It just seems like there's more to it than accidents. Our earth is precisely fashioned. Do you know that the surface of our earth had to be laid out a certain way? Many planets, uh, many moons, you know, have a uh, smooth surface. And if earth had a smooth surface without mountains and valleys and of the depths of the sea, uh, there's enough water on the earth to cover the whole surface of the earth three Sears towers deep. So if suddenly there were no mountains and everything in the earth was just flat, we'd be underwater, Kevin Costner's water world would come true. And maybe the thought of living on a jet ski is fun for some of us, but not all of us. The earth had to be shaped a certain way to promote life or life wouldn't happen. Was it just accidental that the mountains and the depths of the sea were stretched out? I don't think so. I don't think that chance is the best explanation for the order. Did you know that the earth, because of the outer core, has a magnetic field? The magnetic field protects the atmosphere from cosmic rays. And as those, as those cosmic rays are filtered down our magnetic field, they create the northern lights, which are beautiful. Is that random? Because it seems like it's not. What about the core of our earth? Earth has a furnace. Thankfully, you're 93 million miles away from the sun. But do you know the center of the earth is as hot as the surface of the sun? Check out this picture. This, I found this picture online. It's got, it's got a great graphic. It's got weird comments. But anyway, here's inner core, outer core, the mantle, and the crust. The inner core burns as hot as the surface of the sun. Next time you're out landscaping in your backyard, don't dig too deep. You'll get burned. How do we survive? How is our earth just the right size so that we are just the right distance away from our own inner core that wants to burn us? And um, I could go on and on about plate tectonics and... um, how necessary that is, the many different cycles we find in the earth, like the mineral cycle and the water cycle. Anyway, the point is this. Is, is it more likely that all of these variables that produce life are the product of chance? No. No. The burden of proof is on them. Tell me how chance and randomness and non-intelligence made a system that is so well put together that we can just live every day. We know the importance of the coordination because our universe or our world is special not to mention that our earth is in a universe that has different laws Uh, for example if you took physics you learned about the second law of thermodynamics which is called entropy what that means is this the total disorder of the universe is always increasing the total disorder of the universe is always increasing everything in the whole universe moves from order to disorder everywhere and you stumble upon this earth that is so well ordered and so perfectly put together, and that doesn't fit with what is natural. You don't come upon the earth and say, of course that's natural. We see that everywhere. You see that nowhere. You see that nowhere. You see disorder increasing everywhere. You see order increasing nowhere. It had to be a designer. Basically, our universe is related to Wreck-It Ralph. You seen Wreck-It Ralph? I'm going to wreck it. Cartoon. Come on, get with the cartoons, people. Our universe sees something ordered and it wrecks it. 
It's breaking down. It's running out of gas. It's spreading out. Earth is not natural. It's supernatural. Tell people, I believe the universe was made mature. Why? Well, because the universe was fine-tuned and it was precisely fashioned. And I don't believe that in spite of the science. I believe that because of the science. Then, here's the next question. You can ask them this. You can say, do you believe that the universe was, or uh, everything was accidentally assembled? Then you can ask them this, number four. Do you believe luck made life? Do you believe luck made life? Life is always an interesting topic. We're looking for it on the moon, looking for it on Mars. The idea of bringing dead things to life is always entertaining, like Pinocchio. Have you seen Pinocchio? I'm a real boy. I got no strings to hold me dead. But no, he comes to life, and it's a Disney classic. What about Night at the Museum? Every night, everything comes to life. It's not real, it's dead, but then it's alive. Have you seen the Lego movie? You seen the Lego movie where Emmett at the end, he actually comes to life and he starts shaking and then he falls off the table to save the whole Lego world. Um, where does life come from? Does the evidence favor an unintelligent cause for life? No, it doesn't. And the experts know it doesn't, which is why geologist Peter Ward said this, we're just incredibly lucky. Somebody had to win the lottery and we were it. The statistical odds of life coming from non-living material is impossible. It's statistically impossible. They know that, so they use the word luck, accident, providence. One man said the universe just knew we were coming. What does that even mean? It's not intelligent. Do you believe luck made life? So now, going back to my little Lego universe, I was sad to see an empty box, but that was an accident. Sad to see an empty box, but somehow I got all my Legos to come out of it. Uh, and then I was really sad to see a blank blueprint. Um, but, uh, you know, I had faith that I could put my Lego universe together. Then I, I just accidentally, you know, started shaking it. And things like my double-decker couch unexplainably uh, started emerging randomly. Okay, but now here I am at the end. I, I, my Lego universe is coming along. And I'm really excited. And so uh, now I've got these little people because I want them to enjoy my Lego universe. And there's Lord Business. Um, some, of these, some of these creatures are in the process of coming to life. That poor guy doesn't have a head yet. Um, this guy doesn't have hands. But I really want them to come alive. I want them to sit on the double-decker couch. How do I get non-living things to live, live, move, breathe, think? I've got a problem here, especially because I can't use intelligence. I can't use anything that's predictable. I can't, you know, and um, how do I bring things to life? Did, did nothing, did chaos, did randomness produce things that are actually living, breathing, thinking, existing? We don't think so. Um, you can write this down. I believe God produced life directly. I believe God produced life directly because matter and energy couldn't do it. There's no good naturalist explanation for how time plus chance plus matter equals life. Um, Isaiah 45, 18, we'll put that on the screen. It says this. It says, For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, He is God who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. He wanted it to be lived in. He created a universe because he wanted it to be lived in. He planned it for life. That's why he laid it out. Now, as you talk to people about the beginning, they'll start to say, 
you know, they'll say, well, if God made everything, who made God? How many of you have heard that before? Somebody said, if God made everything, who made God? That's a great opportunity to teach them about the nature of our God. Our God is not a created God. We don't believe in created gods. The Bible teaches that God has life in himself. He doesn't get life from any other thing or place or person. Life is in his being. He is ever-existing. He is self-existent. Which is why when he told Moses his name, he said, tell them, I am. No one on earth can say that. It's not true about you. I am. That's always been true about God. I am. I live. I exist. I depend on nothing to live. We don't believe in a created God. No one made God. God made everything. And it's even uh, more awesome when you consider that in John 5, 26, Jesus said, As the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. Nobody ever made Jesus. Jesus always has existed, which is why he told the, uh, the Jews who wanted to kill him before Abraham was born, I am. He claimed to be alive thousands of years before his birth. That's either insane or divine, and there's no middle ground. We believe that all life comes from life. We observe in the science that all life comes from life. No life comes from non-life. What I mean is this. Everything that's, existing, that's living in the world today can be traced back to a living source. You're alive because some living beings made you. Do, you. do you know the birds and the bees? Do you know where babies come from? Do I need to go over that? No? Okay. I'll just assume you know. You're alive because living beings made you. Um, everything is alive because something living produced it. Nothing comes from just dead, blank, non-living matter acting upon itself. Because we observe that, we believe that this is in line with the science. You can write this down. I believe that God made life directly because life can't produce itself from nothing. You can add that phrase from nothing to make it more clear. Life can't produce itself from nothing. We never see that happen. Life requires life because existing life has a library of intelligence at its disposal to give the blueprints to put everything together in a living form. DNA is really what I'm talking about. DNA is a library of intelligence that's found in every cell in your body. If you go into the nucleus of a cell, any cell, pick one cell in your body, pull it out. You go into the nucleus of that cell, it has a full unabridged copy of the entire human genome. What that means is it's a library filled with the whole blueprint to make you, to make a you. And that whole library of information is found in every cell in your body. It's pretty impressive because you're uh, body has 100 trillion cells. So in every one of the 100 trillion cells is a library. And that library is filled with information called DNA. 100 trillion cells filled with a library. If we were to take that information, it could fill 5,000 books. Every cell in your body has enough information to fill 5,000 books and you have 100 trillion cells. You have a library in every cell in your body. That library has information. The information is the blueprint to make a you. Well, how does the library get accessed? Well, every, the cells in your body can make 
copies of this whole library so that it's found in every new dividing cell. There's biological copy machines that enter into the nucleus of the cell that make the copies of your entire library and then brings the copy into every new cell. You're filled with information. And it's amazing how this information is reproduced. I've got a video here that's going to show you a DNA strand that's making a copy of itself so that a new cell can be formed. Remember, you have 100 trillion cells. They were all formed in this manner. All right, check out a DNA making a copy of itself. Using computer animation based on the latest research, we are now able to see how DNA is actually copied in living cells. You are looking at an assembly line of amazing miniature biochemical machines that are pulling apart the DNA double helix and cranking out a copy of each strand. The DNA to be copied enters the production line from bottom left. The whirling blue molecular machine is called helicase. It spins the DNA as fast as a jet engine as it unwinds the double helix into two strands. One strand is copied continuously and can be seen spooling off to the right. Things are not so simple for the other strand because it must be copied backwards. It is drawn out repeatedly in loops and copied one section at a time. The end result is two new DNA molecules. So that's how all of the 100 million or 100 trillion cells in your body got a full copy of the library of information. Now let me just ask you a question. What you see in nature, did you just see this? Was it random? Was it unguided? Was it unintelligent? No, when you have little biological machines that are spinning as fast as a jet engine, that's not accidental. It looks like somebody built that. It looks like something engineered that. That's not random. That's not accidental. DNA is so fascinating that in 1990, the U.S. government launched what's called the Human Genome Project. And they took one cell, and their goal was to pull all of the DNA found in one cell out and to map it, meaning to type it out. I don't know how much you know about DNA, but um, here's a little information. This is Scrabble. Anybody play Scrabble? Get off the Scrabble app. You've got to play it with real pieces, all right? So here's Scrabble. And uh, the way DNA is formed is there are four chemical letters. Um, maybe you remember them from chemistry class, A, T, G, and C. There's like four letters, and they have to be assembled a certain way to make a code that actually works. It's, it can't be random, and it can't be mindlessly repetitive. It's actually a code. It's a very complex code. We knew this, so the government said, we want to figure out if you type out these chemical letters for one cell, what does it say? What, what do the letters say? Let's type them all out. So they embarked on quite a journey. It took them 13 years, 13 years to get one cell's information typed out. 13 years. It cost you, the U.S. taxpayers, $2.7 billion. $2.7 billion dollars to get the DNA information found in one cell typed out. If you were to sit down at a typewriter, you could type 60 words a minute, eight hours a day, and you typed out all the information that they found, it would take you 50 years 
to type out the information found in one cell in your body. All the letters, A, G, Z, T, whatever. The strand, even though the, it's found in a microscopic part of a cell, the strand is six feet long of information. It's a coded message. It's, it would fill 5,000 books. Okay, so you've got, and it's made up of, get this, three billion letters. So they had to type, they found three billion letters on the human genome in one cell. Now I want you to ask yourself this, if you had three billion letters in a Scrabble bag and they needed to come together in a language, precise manner to create a human blueprint, do you think this could make it happen? Do you think three billion letters can be spilled out and then you would read something as complex as Hamlet? Ever. Ever. The answer is statistically impossible. No. We don't think that random, random interactions can create life. Life can't produce itself from nothing. The experts know this. One cell in your body, one cell in your body is filled with a library of information that couldn't put itself together. Bill Gates said DNA is like a computer program, but far, far more advanced than any software we've ever created. Thinking that life brought itself to life is thinking that a Scrabble bag spilled three billion letters on the ground and wrote Hamlet. Chance can't do that. For the first single cell to come alive, to happen naturally without any intelligence involved, only dead, lifeless matter swishing around in some warm pond is statistically impossible. Biochemist Francis Crick, who was given the Nobel Prize for discovering the structure of DNA, said this, an honest man armed with all the knowledge available to us now, could only state that in some sense the origin of life appears at the moment to be almost a miracle. They know it. It's not what you see in the science. It's against what you see in the science. So tell them that. Tell the person you're talking to, hey, do you believe luck made life? Do you believe three billion letters spilled out of a Scrabble bag and, and that's what made the human genome? Because I find that hard to believe based on the science. I don't believe luck made life. I believe God created it directly. Then, jot this down. I don't believe luck made, it li made life because unguided evolution isn't biblical or natural. Let's say we get to the point where letters start self-assembling themselves and basic primitive life forms do form and then somehow the genes create more complex uh, genomes and you know, we don't see that happening. But let's say that it randomly happens. Is evolution really the way that all the life on earth came about? No. Psalm 104.24 says this, O Lord, how manifold are your works in wisdom. You have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. God takes personal credit for putting all the information necessary in the world to create all the creatures we see. He gets the credit. Well, there are a few things that people will say. They'll object and they'll say, well, what about the fossil record? Uh, you know, doesn't the fossil record prove that life evolved? Doesn't the fossil record prove that things moved from a, you know, primitive non-complex state up to what we see today? The answer is no. The answer is no. Um, the fossil record doesn't prove anybody's story about the origin. The fossil record doesn't prove our story, and the fossil record doesn't prove their story. It proves nobody's story. Uh, looking at a fossil record is like coming upon a crime scene where there's been a death. And it's kind of like you're looking at this death trying to figure out how life started. And there are better ways to try and find out how life started than looking at remains, bones in the dirt. 
The truth is that if you've been told that the fossil record conclusively shows every fossil is in its place and it's start to finish, it sh- you've been lied to. It doesn't. It, it is very confusing. It's not lined up. There are gaping holes in the fossil record. Darwin knew this. Darwin called the fossil gaps, he said, the most obvious and serious objection to his theory. Um, recently, Stephen Jay Gould said, the extreme rarity of transitional forms in the fossil record persists. People who don't believe in God say this. Richard Dawkins knows, as he wrote his book, he's an atheist, he wrote The Greatest Show on Earth, and he dodged the issue completely. He said, we don't need fossils to prove evolution is true. We don't don't need fossils. I know there are gaps, but we don't even need fossils to prove evolution is true. We can do it without it. He, He knows that it doesn't make his case. If anyone brings up dead bones in the earth, Here's what I recommend you do. You say, hey, listen, I know the fossil record is really confusing and they're trying to dig up bones still. It doesn't prove your case. I'll admit it doesn't prove my case, but I've got other ways to evaluate if this claim is true. Take them all the way back through the whole gamut. Do you think everything came from nothing? Because I don't. Do you think long before there were bones in the earth that there was nothing that was guiding the chaos? Do you really think that accidentally everything started assembling itself? Because I've got major problems with your theory before we get dead bones in the ground. Your theory can't lead to dead bones in the ground. Your theory can't lead to live things, let alone dead things. Take them back through the whole comprehensive weight of the evidence. I would recommend you as a Christian not try to force the fossil record to line up with your view. I don't think anybody wins when you try and use the fossils to say, Your view is true. And I would just commend to you that Christians believe different things about how God started life. You know, so here at Harvest, the official view is we believe that God made everything in six literal 24-hour days. We would be literal six-day creationists, okay? Uh, Is the earth and the universe young? We think it is. But there are some Christians who don't. There are some Christians who would say there's a little gap in Genesis 1, 1, and 2, and God took his time stretching out the universe before he directly made life. We would say, all right, hey, great, you're welcome here. You know, we can disagree and still be Christians together. There are some Christians who even think that God didn't make life all at once, that he used periods of time to stretch out all the creatures we see on the face of the earth, but they believe he did it supernaturally and directly. He guided the process. And I would say, hey, great, cool. That's what you believe. I I think there's a better view that lines up with the text, but I'm not going to call you a heretic, and I'm not going to say you lose your salvation because you think the universe is older or God took his time to create life. What we will insist on is there was a literal Eden, a literal Adam and Eve, and God made man the way he said he did directly because life can't emerge from nothing. I would just commend to you that as you talk to non-believers, make sure you have a unified witness and you don't confuse them with Christian infighting about how everything began, because that wouldn't be beneficial. There's a lot we don't know about the beginning. But here's what we can say. We believe that luck didn't make life. We believe God produced life directly, because life can't produce itself from nothing, and unguided evolution isn't biblical, and it isn't natural. Listen, over the last three weeks, we've talked about this, and I've been very rational, and I've been very, you know, impartial, you know, in in terms of trying to really see what uh, people are saying in the way that they uh, challenge our faith. At the end of it all, I wonder if there are some people in this room who three, four weeks ago, you would say you believed the naturalistic, atheistic worldview, but now you're not so sure that it works. 
I wonder if there's anybody who's been coming the last couple of weeks who says, based on what I've heard about how the universe was ordered and the earth was laid out, I'm not so sure anymore that time plus matter plus chance can give us everything that we see now. And I just want to say now, after I've been modeling for weeks the patient consideration that you should give other theories, I just need to say this as a summary of everything we've found. It's a really, really bad theory. It's a really irrational, unscientific theory. To think that everything came from nothing doesn't line up with the way the universe works. It's a bad theory. To think that there were absolutely no guiding principles to put everything together is a really bad theory. It doesn't line up with what we see. I'm not saying this in spite of the science. I'm saying this because of the science. To say everything that has been pieced together like our earth and our sun was just the shaking of a box isn't rational, isn't likely. There's a better option. And to say that when life came about, there was just three billion letters that spilled out on the ground and somehow formed you? I think it's time for you to turn away from that theory because it doesn't make sense. I think it's time for you to look up at a God who made you, who loved you, who pieced the universe together in such a way that you can know him. And I think it's time for you to say, God, I am so sorry for my ignorance, for my willful pride, for my lack of understanding of what you've done, and most of all, for my ingratitude, because you have done wonderful things for me, and I have believed a foolish lie for far too long. I think it's time. Let's pray. Father, as we look and consider the heavens and the earth and the wonders that you've made, I just am so overwhelmed. And uh, Lord, I just regret the time in my life when I believed these lies. I regret the time in my life when I believed such foolish things that nothing can produce everything and chaos can produce order and luck can produce life. Father, I feel so regretful of that time. And I just pray for anyone here today who is waking up to the reality, the truth, that a living, loving God is responsible for everything that I enjoy and take for granted. Lord, I just pray that they would repent, that they would repent of the foolishness that they have believed, that they would once and for all discard the things that are so irrational and unscientific. Pray, Lord, that based on what they've observed in our universe and in your word, that they would humble themselves before you, turn to you, and trust the Creator. Father, we know that you made us to love you and to know you, We know that our hearts are foolish and darkened. Just as you cause the light to shine in the darkness of this universe, so we need you to shine in our hearts. I pray that as there are perhaps some who are turning to you right now and repenting of their foolishness and ignorance and willfulness, that they would find you to be ready to receive them, to give them new spiritual life so that they can be awakened to the glory and the beauty of what you've done. Father, we pray that you would fill us with this love, fill us with this light. We pray this in Jesus' name.